love when people get bold to share the goodness and the grace of God in their life. Thank you, Christopher, for sharing. And uh, if you've got a story, uh, my story, uh, it should be uh, kfrs.org slash my story. You can actually share with us uh, the story of what God has been doing in your life. As we um, have kind of dove into our Ephesians series, something that um, our staff put together is something called the Our Confession. And, our, and uh, Pastor Matt is uh, rolling in my illustration. I built my own illustration, so if it falls apart, somebody else built it. If it did, didn't, I built it. So uh, we'll preach on pride today. But we're going to say our confession today, and uh, we're going to say it together. Uh, last week we introduced it. We actually have it on um, bookmarks for you to keep in your Bibles or keep in your scripture journals to say every day. I love these confessions and I love getting Ephesians in uh, into me every single day and just kind of speaking it over my reading, my studying, and my preparation and my prayer time. So we're going to put that confession on the screen and ask that you just say it along with me um, together as it appears on the screen. There we go, because I don't have it memorized. I know I should, I just don't. So would you read this with me? I trust in Christ who has authority over all. No worldly power can overwhelm his control. I surrender my desires and submit to his call to unconditionally, uncontrollably, love my brothers and sisters in Christ, setting aside my preferences, politics, and prejudice for we are one under Christ, our first and primary allegiance. I commit myself to Christ and his church, together bringing the light of Christ's love to those in dark. Spirit of God, I thank you for this day, the opportunity to share. I ask that, that this word would be like seed upon the soil of our hearts, bearing fruit, so that, Lord, that people through us can taste and see and know that the Lord is so good. So, Lord, bless this time together. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 2 today. So if you have your scripture journals, there's plenty of things to take notes on today. Um, as we get into this amazing, amazing book, chapter 2, um, Paul is, is, is pretty, pretty psyched about what he's writing about. And we're going to help you understand like, how we, we truly know that. Uh, back in 2005, I was youth pastoring at that time. And uh, we were coming back from a mission trip. Now understand this, that I love every one of my students that I've ever youth pastored. I pastored, pastored hundreds of students, had amazing uh, moments with them. They're like our sons and daughters. But when you are coming back after a week of traveling with them, I just want to get them home. I need alone time. So uh, we're flying back from Los Angeles. We have 54 students with us. I remember that specifically. We had 54. We are tired. We are weary. We've had an amazing week of ministry in Los Angeles. And we had a layover. And so we found out because our first flight was delayed that it was going to be, there was a slim chance where we can actually miss our connecting flight. And I'm telling you, I've had these 54 amazing students with me all week. I just want them home with their parents and no longer with me any longer. And I love them so much, but they need to go. And so as we are getting ready to land, they announce, hey, we've got uh, some people that have got to uh, transfer to another exit. 
And so I talked with one of the stewardesses and said, could we just get let out? Because we have got a large group on this plane that has to get out. And so they made an announcement, let this youth group go. And so I told one of my youth leaders, Brent, I'm like, Brent, I need you to run to wherever we're flying out of to go back home to Midland. I need you to run and just stand in the doorway. Do not let that door close because we're going to make it. And so I'm lecturing everybody. We are not stopping. Some of you are hungry. I don't care. Some of you are thirsty. don't care. Some of you have never been to Dallas. Our labor is in Dallas. I'm like, I don't care. No souvenirs, no shops, no bathrooms. You hold it. I am lecturing. You're running. Do not get distracted. Just get straight to the next exit. And so they announce the exit number, and we're all running it on their hands. And I always send my leaders first, youth group second, and then me third. Why? Because youth groups drop things like wallets, cell phones, passports, tickets. I mean, they literally, I just walked behind them, cleaning up after them. But this time, I just wanted to be the last one so that if I get on, I know the youth group is on. I'm like, don't get distracted. Just get there, get there, get there. And so we get off the plane and we are just running. We got this massive train of students running through the airport to get the other side of the airport to get to our connecting flight. And I'm like, just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. I got two students with me. We're like herding people uh, like cattle. It's wonderful. And we're pushing them. They're running. And all and all of a sudden I run by a sports bar and I see breaking news and I stop. (laughs) And I'm like, what happened? Shaquille O'Neal just signed with the Los Angeles Lakers for $122 million. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And so everyone's running. And and so the two boys with me stopped. They're like, is that amazing? I'm like, oh, we've got a minute. And so I'm staring and I'm just listening to what's taking place. My Shaq's playing for the Lakers now. That's amazing. That's awesome. And so I'm like, well, we better get to our plane. So we just start walking and casually, we're talking about it. We're like, oh, let's hurry it up. And we get there and Brent is standing in the doorway. They're coming. I promise they're coming. I'm like, Brent, we're here. Guess what? Shaq got signed by the Lakers. He goes, is that where you've been? Well, this is important stuff in the kingdom of God. Today, I want to preach you a message entitled Distracted in the Transfer. Distracted in the Transfer. How many of you know that there are times that when God is transferring us from one season to another, it is easy to get distracted in the transfer. It is easy to get sidetracked on other things. And that's what chapter two, Paul is wanting to talk about the transferring that has taken place in our lives. And so, I mean, we get this urgency. How do I know this urgency? It's really what you see in the Greek. Last week we told you that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, that that is what we see as what, what, 11 verses or so? It's actually one sentence. In the Greek, it is 240 words long, one sentence. No punctuation, just all the way through. Then you get to verse 15 through 21 in chapter 1. 15 through 21 is one sentence, 167 words long. Then we get to chapter two, verses one through seven. One long 99 word sentence. Paul, who is a highly educated man, is in this mode of passion and excitement that he wants the church to know something desperately. And that's why you know he's passionate. He has foregone any type of grammatical rules. He is urgent at the church understanding something. What are they supposed to understand? Verse one, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked and following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work 
and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. I love the fact that he uses the word, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And they and were of the nature of children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, circle that. I love the word but in the scripture, but God. It is a transitional word. Being rich in mercy because of great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How many times did we see the words in Christ or in Christ Jesus or in him and that alone? We learned about that last week, but here we get this urgency in Paul. He's like, listen, guess what? We were all at one point, we were all dead. We were dead. The Greek word dead means this. It means to be separated, disconnected, unresponsive. You were dead toward the gospel, dead toward God, disconnected, unresponsive toward him. And to really truly understand that word, you need to look at Luke chapter 15, which is the story of the prodigal son or more accurately titled the story of the two sons, which I believe there are two prodigals in that story. But the story of the prodigal son, if you look in that story, you see what is the one prodigal son, the famous prodigal son, what does he say to his dad? He says, listen, I want my inheritance. I want what's coming to me. In other words, what he's saying in that culture, I wish you were dead so I could have what's coming my way. I want you dead. I want to be separated, disconnected. I want to be completely separate from you and unresponsive to the connection. And we know the story of the prodigal son where the prodigal son takes his inheritance and he begins to just be frivolous with it on just a life of partying. He is just throwing money everywhere. He's got his entourage. He's just living life the way that he wants to live. He's off to Vegas, off to Atlantic City, off to tropical places like, I don't know, Delaware. All right, he's just going wherever. And he is just blowing all of his funds and he gets to the place where now he is basically homeless the only job that he can get is he becomes a, a pig herder. And, and actually, he's not the pig herder. He feeds them. And he is so hungry, so distraught that he's craving what the pigs are eating because he's got nothing. And he thinks to himself, man, even my, my, my parents' servants have way more than I have. I'll go back home and beg and beg my father for life back. And the beauty of this is, is as he is walking toward home, he is wondering what he's going to say to dad. But the picture of God is the father who is looking for his son. He's not waiting for his son to come back. He is looking, he is glancing, and he knows his son is going to come back. And when he sees him afar off, he runs to him. And what does he say? My son was once dead, separated, disconnected, unresponsive. He once was dead, and now he's alive. The picture of salvation between us and God. I want you to understand what Paul is trying to tell us in verses one and two specifically. He says that we all, notice how he, he lumped all of us in, how you all once lived, how we all once were. You and I were once dead in our sin, dead in our transgressions. You see, I want you to understand that the gospel does not declare that we were sick with sin. The gospel declares that we were dead in our sin. 
And it wasn't just that we were in a state of deadness or separation from God, it's the way that we lived. Verse two says, the way that you walked like the rest of mankind. Now understand, there is a massive difference between sick and being dead. That goes without saying, but some, some of us think that we just have a condition of, we're just sick with sin. No, the scripture says that the penalty of sin is death, that the, that the life, the condition of sin is death. But the difference is this, sick people need a prescription, dead people need a resurrection. We needed a savior, not a stopgap. We didn't need a prescription. We didn't need a feel good message just to make us feel good and to feel a little bit more loved. We didn't need a prescription. We weren't sick. We were dead in our transgressions, Paul says. And because of that, we didn't need God to give us a stopgap, something temporary that would kind of hold us along. He didn't give us any temporary. He gave us his son. He gave us the resurrection. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave now lives in you. He gave us resurrection because becoming a Christian Christian or becoming in Christ is a, is a death to life transformation. It is an all-encompassing daily revolution. Why revolution? Because it seems like our flesh, there's that part of us that wants to go back to verse two, that we just keep living the way we once walked. We keep going back to the way that we used to be. And that's why every single day we've got a decision. Will we be in Christ? Will we walk in Christ? Are we gonna operate in Christ or not. And that's the encouragement today is that because of Jesus, sin no longer has mastery over you and me. Sin no longer has grip over you and me. It no longer can hold us. Look at this word. Paul, just as much as he wrote the churches here, he wrote them to other churches. Romans chapter six, verse uh, five through 11. For we have been united with him in death like his and we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. And we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ is being raised from the dead, who will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died once to sin, once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. I love this. I love this word to the Romans because he's saying that sin no longer has mastery over you. No matter what sin has told you or what people have told you, what people have spoken over your life, it doesn't matter because God has spoken a better word over your life. God has spoken a better future over your life. God has spoken a better word over your marriage where people said that there is no possibility for healing, restoration. There's no possibility for salvation. We serve a God that specializes in things called impossible and therefore sin has no grip in fact I wrote it this way no matter how badly you have messed up your sin is never bigger than God's saving grace in fact think of it this way nothing you can there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or love you less he loves you because he is love and I know this sounds so elementary when it comes to church talk when it comes to simple theology. This is Sunday school theology. This is five-year-old theology. But the reality is, is somewhere along the way that we get so 
tenured in church that we lose out on the wonder of God's simple, amazing grace that transformed us and called us out of darkness and a marvelous light. Why is it that the longer that we are saved, the more that we are apt to lose the wonder of what God has truly done? We sing songs talking about how God saves us and, and we give it a simple little golf clap instead of recognizing where would we be if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ? My dad says it so often, David, where would we be if it wasn't for God? Where would we be? Where would the family be? Where would our marriages be? Where would our children be if it wasn't for the grace of God? And I'm worried that we have forgotten about the grace of God and we've made it so common in the church. And I wanted the Spirit of God to help us to regain the wonder of who God is and what he has done for us. Because if we can regain the wonder, then we can begin to get rid of the habits that once connected us with the old life that we used to live. How many of you know that when you get married, there are some habits that you ought to let go? Some of y'all need to stop living single when you've got a ring on the finger. Why, why do I say that? Because we, the state that you're in is disconnected from the habits that you used to live in. But there are so many people, you're causing your marriage strife. Why? Because you have brought over old habits from one season into the new season, and they are not congruent with the season that you are now in. And I think that goes the same with the way that we serve Jesus. Some of us are trying to serve Jesus on a Sunday, but we live the way we used to live on Monday through Saturday. And Paul is trying to say, listen, you have been brought out. You have been pulled out. You have to move forward because what you cling to in the present will determine whether you stay or move forward into your next season. And so I'm telling you, you wanna make your marriage miserable? Cling to the things that you did in the former seasons. You wanna make your walk with God miserable? Cling to the way you used to live in the former seasons. Some of us are trying to live here while living back here. That's where we need to kind of cut it off. We need to cut the umbilical cord. If God has saved you from one life, it's time to live the new life that God has called you here, right here and right now. Some of y'all need to let go of the things that have been pulling you back. Some of you need to cut off some friendships. I'm not saying you stop loving your friends, but some of you need to stop having, uh, having influences in your life that keep Keep pulling you back. Stop blaming them. Stop casting the, the, the blame their way. Some of you just need to cut the umbilical cord and begin to say, I can love you, but you can no longer influence me. Some of you need to cut off media, addictions, things that used to be connected that drew you back. Why do we have to cut that off? Because God is trying to draw you into a new season. And if we're not careful on our transition this direction, we can get distracted and keep going back to where we once were. There's some things that we need to let go of that are just simply robbing peace from your life. We need to let go of things that keep influencing us to keep living the way of, out of what God has already saved us out of. We gotta start looking at life differently. So this is the kids pastor in me kind of is gonna come out today. Is that all cool with y'all? Here we go. This is my... This is my window. I found a window in the back, uh, in the back room, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write on the window here. This is how some of us looked at life, according to Paul, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. A little, little, do a little drawing here. Some of us look through life, well, I guess all of us, I should say, look through life this way. 
we had a way that we lived, Paul said. There's a way that we walked. And it wasn't just a we thing, like Paul was just writing to one church. He's really saying it to, he's trying to say it to all of us that we all lived in a way that we were dead in our transgressions. And so therefore, as dead people, we looked at life in a different way. Our view of life was through evil eyes, sinful eyes, broken lives. And so therefore, everything that we viewed in life was through that lens. And Paul says, but because of the grace of God, there's something happens in our life. He doesn't come to necessarily, let's just clean it up and leave you as normal. God comes in our life to actually turn us around. Where we once looked at life through the lens of sin and evil, God gets us to start living through the life that we have in Jesus Christ. The life turns around, instead of looking at life through evil, we've got the word live. We've got a life that we can now live in Christ. He says, because your life has been turned around, stop living the way that you were and start living, transition, don't get distracted in what God has called you to. You're so disconnected, put it away, but yet it's a daily choice we gotta make every day. Every single day, we can get so sidetracked in the transition. My fear is this, is that tomorrow morning we'll wake up and we'll just go back to living the way that we were the week before. But listen, you don't have to do that because Jesus' spirit is in you. And if we can make the transitional turn and not get distracted, we can recognize that we can begin to look at life through our living, through living that life that's given to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus said that I have come that you might live, that you might have life and life abundant. Don't stop looking through the world through those eyes. Because when we start living like Jesus and start looking like Jesus and understanding like Jesus, it transforms everything around you. You may say, well, well how does that affect your, my, my, my individual life? Does that mean we no longer sin? How many of you, once you got saved, once you gave your heart to Christ, you never sinned ever again? Keep your hands down. <laughs> There's a difference between I've committed a sin and I'm following Christ and I'm identifying as a sinner, I'm gonna keep sinning. There's a difference because we can commit a sin as a believer. That's why I believe repentance should be every day. We can commit a sin as a believer, but we don't have to give in to sin because when we live this way, it's just who we were. We were dead in our transgressions. We were sinners dead in our transgressions. But this is the beauty is when we gave our hearts to Christ, there's a different life we live. And so therefore we've got the spirit of God that helps us that when we sin, it helps the spirit of God. He helps remind us that you may sin, but you don't identify with that sin. Some of you, you have been convinced by the devil that if you, you said a lie, therefore you're always going to be a liar and God will only see you as a liar. Or you have lusted, therefore God is only gonna see you in that manner. We may sin, but we have to understand that just because we sin doesn't mean that number one, God's grace has, not, has run out. And number two, it doesn't mean we have to be identified with that. We are in Christ and we live in Christ and we operate in that manner. And we walk in such a way that keeps following after him. I love this word by Martin Luther. Yesterday was Reformation Day, so the, this is kind of apropos. Apropos, I'm getting fancy with my words. Martin Luther says this, should anybody knock at my heart and ask who lives here, I should answer, it is not Martin Luther, 
but the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us need to start looking at others through this lens and also see ourselves through this lens. I now live in a different mode. I live in a different place. I look in the mirror through that lens and when I, my, when I mess up, the enemy wants us to, cap, wants to capitalize on that moment of failure. But how many of you know there's a difference between I failed and I am a failure? I'm here to give somebody a word this morning. You may feel like you have been labeled a failure, but I say in the name of Jesus, rise up like Jesus out of that tomb, like Lazarus out of that tomb, rise up and live. And exactly what Paul is trying to spell out in Ephesians 2, you passed through death and you've come into life in Christ. And it comes to that quintessential verse. There's another big word for Dave this morning. This quintessential verse in verse eight, this is huge. For by what you've been saved? Grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Why is this so quintessential? It's number one, you can't work your way for salvation. That way you can't take credit for it. Ever have someone try to take credit for your work? Wait, let me re-ask that. Anybody ever do a project in school where, someone, where you got buddied up with somebody who was not gonna do any work, but yeah, I got some high schools over here giving testimony. You already know you're gonna do all the work. Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own works. Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared for, uh, beforehand, should we walk in him. I need a keyboardist or somebody out here, so I'll shut up. Look at these words. There's two words here. Now, that first sentence, for by grace you've been saved. In the Greek language, it, it literally is this. The tense of the Greek means it is a completed action and it's continuing results. You were saved in the past, and every single day, you're being saved over and over and over again. And then it says, look at this. I write this in your scripture journals. This is huge. For we are his workmanship. Lean over your neighbor and just say you're a piece of work. That word workmanship in the Greek language is the Greek word for poem. Ever have a poem in high school you had to study and you didn't know what in the world it meant? Aren't there humans in your life that you just look at them and you don't know what they're up to? Paul says you, and the word there you is plural. You are the workmanship, you are the poem of God. When God birthed your life, you are birthed as a beautiful poem. A poem that takes a lifetime sometimes to understand. But the more you understand life and the life you live, the more you understand the goodness and the grace of God. Because with the grace that we're reading about here, it's not something that God puts on a shelf. You know what one of the biggest thrills of my life is when I'm in Meyer and somebody shorter than me will ask me to reach for something for them. As a five foot seven man, let me tell you, that is like the greatest thing you can ever ask me. Young man, can you reach this? I'm like, number one, I got called young, that's beautiful. And I'm like, I will reach whatever, I will follow you around in a non-creepy way and reach whatever you need me to reach. Some of you think that God puts grace in a place you can't reach. And you've judged God based off of thinking that he doesn't like you or he's not for you. God doesn't put grace out of your reach. In fact, God has taken grace and he's reached out as far as he can reach.
which is right there in front of you, and all you got to do is just reach out and grab it from him. That's the picture of God. I like to think that God is, God is a, a gift giver like me. And it may sound very prideful, but I'm a, I'm a guy that when I buy something for my, my, my kids, like one, two days, three days before their birthday or Christmas, I'm like, maybe they could open up one gift. And it's like, no, no, wait for their birthday. And I think part of it is I want to, I want to play with whatever it is too. Um, or if it's like climbing stuff, I want to use it too. Uh, whatever it is, I just, there's just something about blessing my kids and watching the look on their face. And I think of God, he's not a stingy gift giver. He doesn't put grace out of reach from you. He is the type of person that is thrilled to pour out grace. And I, and I wrote this down in my notes this morning. I wrote, because I feel like God was giving me, a, the Holy Spirit was giving me a word for somebody this morning. So I wrote this in my notes here, that there's somebody here this morning that you feel you, like you are a constant disappointment to God. And you feel like God is tired of showing you grace. I don't know if somebody's supposed to hear that here or over the live stream, but here you feel like you are a constant disappointment and God is tired of showing you grace. I'm here to tell you, God is not tired of showing you grace. He's never tired. He's never tired. Max Licato says this, God's grace has a drenching about it a wildness about it, a white water riptide, turn you upside downness about it. Grace comes after you, it rewires you from insecure to God secure, from regret riddled to better because of it, from afraid to die to ready to fly. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. This is chapter two. You have been pulled from sin and from evil, and you've been transformed into a new way to live. You've been given something. Now it's time to live in it. But don't get distracted in the transfer. It's so easy to get distracted. Well, but I'm so used to living this way. Don't get distracted. I'm used to talking this way to people. Don't get distracted. I'm used to responding this way. I'm used to doing business this way. Don't get distracted from what the grace of God has shown you and is doing in you day by day by day by day. Because this thing of following Jesus, this transformation, I'm telling you what, this is not a one-time turnaround. It's an every day. God, show me your grace one more morning. Turn my life around and help my life not to get distracted from what you're calling me to. Would you bow your heads with me? I need to wrap up, I'm done. I need to wrap up. For people listening this morning, you've heard for two weeks maybe about this being in Christ. And you hear people talking about being in Christ, but maybe Christ has never been in you. Maybe you've never made a decision. I don't know what traditions you grew up in. I don't know what approaches to church that you've had. Some of you feel like you were born into Christianity. You were kind of handed it from a parent, handed it from a friend, handed it from whatever you grew up in, but you have actually never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And it's time to take the most transformational turn that you can ever take with your life. And so heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's just give some privacy in the house today. If you're here today and you need to make a decision to follow Christ, you're ready for that death to life moment.
of just saying yes to the grace of Jesus, of putting your faith in Jesus. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand just in this place from wherever you're at this morning? Would you just slip up your hand and say, I need to follow Jesus this morning. I just want to give a few moments. I just want to pray over all of you. Thank you. Thank you for that hand, bud. Thank you so much. Thank you. You need to come back to Jesus. This is the morning. Thank you. I see that. That's awesome. If you're watching on the live stream or you're here, would you just pray right where you're at? And let's make it simple this morning. Just simply say the words, Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, today, I choose you. Today, Jesus, I put my faith in you because I recognize it's by grace through faith and not of my own work. Today, Jesus, I take the transitional turn. And Lord, what I pray over one and all, not just these three people, but over everybody listening, God, I pray that you would help us to not get distracted because for every single one of us here, Lord, you're taking us into new seasons and in new places. You're trying to draw us closer to you to let your life be made known in and through our lives. And Lord, I pray for all of us that not a single one of us would get distracted in that transfer. That we would see the things that we ought to leave so that we can embrace the thing that you want to give. Lord, I pray to individuals, Lord, I just feel heavy for marriages today. I ask that, Lord, that we would begin to see a severing and a distancing from old habits that were once connected with a former life or a former stage or a former season. God, I pray that, Lord, we would begin to see a transfer. We would not get distracted because, Lord, you're not doing it to punish. You're doing it to grow us, to take a turn and to follow after you. Lord, I just bless one and all for everyone that's listening. Pray that you would do a magnificent work in and through us for your glory and for your honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you give God a huge hand for three people and give their lives to Jesus this morning?